Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida, and welcome to the wonderful and enjoyable, we hope anyway, uh, Politically Incorrect podcast. Today, joining us, we have Tim Bryce. Tim, of course, is someone who you should know from his writing on uh, News Talk Florida. Also with us from New York, Alan Steinberg. From the beautiful mean streets of of Brandon, we have Joe Henderson. And from the sublime area of Dade City, Florida, we have none other than Tom Jackson. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have the gang with us. We got all of our columnists with us today. That's kind of a a rare situation, but but a good one. Uh, I'll tell you what, since uh, Tim is here, and it's a first-time thing for him, Tim, your observations on... um, on the changes made in the in the Trump camp and why you think they they made the changes at this time. Well, the thing that cracked me up when I listened to the radio is and they're saying, "Well, yeah, this is all shocking. This is all changing, and just as another example of it's all coming out." Hey, I think it's expansion, plain and simple. Uh, I think it's a good sign, uh, personally. They're going to get a lot more people on there. They're expanding the staff down here in Florida as well. So I'm not surprised by it. Alan, your thoughts? I don't think it does anything for Donald Trump. In fact, I think it'll make things worse. He needs to run a traditional campaign to do what they call the blocking and tackling of politics. Steve Bannon is a bad message man. Uh, He has a whole history uh, with the Breitbart site. Unlike the original Breitbart proprietor, Andrew Breitbart, who was a good man, Steve really put out some very bad messages that appealed to substantial bigotry. In fact, he met with white nationalists, two of them. It was quoted in an article by Ben Shapiro, who used to work for Breitbart, a very profound conservative. And Kellyanne Fitzpatrick is not a candidate. Well, that was her name. Pardon me. I knew knew her before she was Kellyanne Conway. I knew her from New Jersey. She's a pollster. I don't think she's one of the elite pollsters, but she's not a campaign manager. Uh, I was involved with Ted Cruz in the primary, and we were not impressed at all with what she did with the super PAC. She ingratiated herself somehow with Donald Trump. She'll travel with him. She'll tell him the things he wants to hear. But I think this is a doomed campaign. Mr. Jackson, thoughts? I I defer to, to my learned colleague, Mr. Steinberg. I also would cite a column today by um, uh, by Carl Rowe. Of course, he's no fan of the Trump campaign to begin with. Uh, but without without he goes on at length to to talk about message discipline. That perhaps and in fact uh, the the column just above that on that op-ed page uh, by Daniel Henninger goes also to some length to say that you know when you come right down to it on terrorism and on law and order at home. Donald Trump may ha- actually have the better message on this, but he can't. But he refuses to be disciplined about making that message. Now, um, if and it's a big, big if, if Bannon and Conway can figure out a way to uh, shape a message that makes sense to that 20% of Americans who aren't decided already, then maybe this shuffling makes sense. Uh, but we may look back on this uh, at November 9th because, uh, and, and say that this was, in fact, just a reshuffling, a, a rearranging of the chairs on the Titanic. Uh, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot of really successful campaigns that make significant changes like this in their order of business this late in the campaign. Joseph. Well, if if this were Trump's first campaign shakeup, you know, we might go, well, okay, he's, you know, he's gearing up for the fall or whatever. Um, but this is being interpreted uh, and and actually not being denied by the Trump camp of, of being a pointedly uh, a move to, quote, let Trump be Trump. And okay, if you're going to go down, go down as yourself. I, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But what what Donald Trump and I think uh, Bannon and, and all the rest of, of that philosophy fail to understand is that their message, their extreme message, does not resonate across 
all the uh, the subgroups that it takes to win an election. In fact, it scares the tar out of a lot of people. So if he's going to be talking more shrill on immigration, on there's nothing there's nothing else they can say about Hillary Clinton at this point. I don't think uh, that hasn't already been said, but maybe maybe they got something. But basically, the tone just sounds like it's going to be more bare knuckles, uh, more flame throwing, and that's kind of what got him in this mess to begin with. So I don't see how this is a good move for him. I really don't. Uh, you know, I'm let me interject say, something, if I may. Yeah, just uh, let me jump in just a second, Alan. There was something I wanted to uh, point out here, and I'll I'll get right back to you. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, and that is that I think Kellyanne, and again, Alan. You know, uh, you and I know we're in different areas, but I think that Kellyanne Conway is going to be helpful in so much as she did a thing today. I don't, Tim, I don't know if you guys saw it. She did a piece uh, on, um, you know, she was interviewed on uh, the uh, CNN morning show. And she was very, first thing that was brought up was about the poll situation. And she very, uh, she very thoughtfully answered the question by saying, you know what, we are behind in the polls. And there's no denying that. But I feel that if we can do, you know, this, that, and the other, she laid out a very thoughtful plan of how to get things done and, and how to move forward. And it was as a Trump surrogate, she she very much was on message. She was very much bringing a thoughtful point to it. And I thought for a first shot out of the, you know, out of the, the blocks, I thought Kellyanne did a very uh, good job of keeping on message uh, as a surrogate and doing, a, you know, doing her, um, doing her candidate uh, some good. And I think that, uh, you know, look, she may not be the greatest pollster in the world, but she's not she's not bad, and she does bring something to the table. And I think that if she can, um, you know, make it work, well, then uh, I think that was a good hire. And we'll see. Oh, yeah, Jim. Says, says who? Says who? I didn't. Oh, he's imitating Mike I'm, Cohen. I'm, <laughs> did you not just hear me talk to Thomas? I mean, I said. Yeah, yeah. So, what, so what's your question? Let me. My, my point is this, Tom. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. My, I'm sorry. busting your job. I thought that Kellyanne did a nice job of framing I'm just, I'm just, the situation. I'm trolling you with Michael Cohen. That's all. I'm just trolling you with Michael Cohen. Hey, I know hey, Michael Cohen, and Alan knows Michael Cohen, too. And you know what? Michael can be a pain in the left earlobe from time to time. Um, He's the worst thing this campaign could have on TV. But let me interject this, Kellyanne. I'm sure worse than Katrina Pearson. Worse than Katrina? Come on. Oh, she ought to be sent down to Columbus, like they say in baseball. But here's the here's the difficulty, uh, Jim. I'm sure Kellyanne will do a, a very good message job in terms of her surrogate work. She's not the problem. The problem is Donald Trump. He will discipline himself for a couple days. And then he'll go off the handle again. He's shown this in the past. Now, I have seen campaign changes made in the middle of a campaign that ended up winning the campaign. I'll tell you when I saw it. I was involved in Christy Whitman's campaign for governor in 1993. Her brother, who was a bright guy, but he wasn't a campaign manager, had been managing the campaign. So in October, she was really down in the polls. And Ed Rollins, who was the consultant, took over the campaign. Christy Whitman, who was fairly disciplined to begin with, just followed Ed's lead in, uh, in terms of messaging. We had a different message every day. We had a great press secretary in Carl Golden, and we came from behind, and we won a magnificent victory. This is uh, different here. Bannon is not the kind of person who is able to enforce that kind of discipline, and it's not even Bannon's fault or Kellyanne's fault. It's Donald Trump. He'll never accept that discipline. Tim, I, I feel as if you you need uh, an opportunity to to uh, have your say in this um, on this the political. Well, I, you know, I, I've just been uh, taking it in. I enjoy uh, what they're saying, but you know, to my uh, way of thinking, here we have a guy named Trump who is an outsider coming on into Washington, take on the Washington Triad, 
and uh, try to upset the apple cart out of that. He does know that the press is not his friend, and they're going to jump on the slightest word he says out of line. And he figures, hey, i got nothing to lose. I'm going to go after the populace uh, uh, discussion. And he's going to stay on that, and he's going to keep it going. Now, what gets interesting are the debates. Will he take that same tone in there against Mrs. Clinton, uh, which I really don't think he will. Um, but I think when he goes out to his rallies, he's going to talk just the way he is. It doesn't seem to be hurting him, by the way, guys. His rallies are jam-packed. Yes, but rallies don't win campaigns. It's what the people who are watching the rallies on TV thinks, and a lot of people who watch those rallies on TV think that he's a screaming lunatic. It was great for the primary. The primary was a different electorate. The primary was largely composed of the angry white males who are not college educated, who have been very frustrated by adverse turns in the economy. You have in this, in, in the general, you have a large minority constituency, African Americans and Hispanics. You have a large white college educated, uh, almost a, a very substantial sector, men and women, and he's not appealing to any of these constituencies. I've seen a lot of the Trump people. I, you know, I've been to some of their organization meetings. I've watched that, but it amazed me. And this is going back to like about March, I'm going to say. At that time, in the state of Florida, there were 70,000 volunteers for Trump. And when I heard that number, I was just blown off the, the charts over that. Um, and no, yes, there are college-educated people who do support Donald Trump. It's not, you know, they're not low lives by any chance, uh, any stretch of the imagination. But there is an undercurrent going on in here, and it's an undercurrent that, that's been going on for well a while. People want to see Washington radically change. Yeah, it was very apparent in the Republican primaries. It's still there. I, think, I don't think they look upon him as the vehicle to change. I think I that, that's the choice. Yeah, the thing I think, um, and certainly Tim, you were on this early. I mean, you were very, very. Um, you had been uh, a Trump supporter, or, or prior to being a Trump supporter, you had been uh, one of the few people looking at. I didn't it become and, a Trump supporter until you know a few months back. Okay. Right. And I, you know, I didn't really care about Donald Trump myself. No, I did not watch Celebrity Apprentice or anything like that. You know, I, I thought that was nonsense. I knew of the guy, but I didn't take him seriously. All anytime I bring up his name, everybody says, "Well, I got to do something about his hair." You know, like I said, that really, that's the best you got. You know. So anyway, you know, I didn't think anything of him. But then once he got in the race and once he started getting some momentum, I started listening more carefully to what he's saying. And I do see how he connects to the populace. And it scares the hell out of, out of Democrats. It scares the hell of a lot of Republicans as well. Well, we have two of them here <laughs> in Allen and Tom. Uh, oh, I've been scared. I was a Reagan man. That was a different kind of populism. That was an optimistic populism. That, that appealed to the best in people. And I feel Donald Trump appeals to the worst. He's, this is the first election of my adult life. Where for president of the United States, I've supported a Democrat first time. And and well, let me jump in here. It, the, the, Trump scares me enough as as somebody who would, you know, probably a little bit center left. Tom would say I'm far left. I don't think I am, but whatever. Uh, and I'm you know it's no I'm not going to vote for Donald Trump. Not. And it goes beyond just him. It's who is attracted to him, who would be in his administration. It's not just the president that runs the country. It's the people that the president puts in place. And what I'm seeing from those who are the the true believers in Trump, they scare the bejeebers out of me about what they might try to pull off, about how they might attack some of the basic freedoms we have. And their general worldview is is that of a uh, gunfight at the OK Corral. This is this is serious stuff, and I don't believe they're playing a serious game. Let me wait tell a minute. Bannon's the, mo Bannon's the most frightening. Yeah. Okay, okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. As as the as a moderator, okay, Tim. <laughs> uh, Tim was about to 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 answer Joe's question, so we'll go to Tim. Tim, go ahead. 
Uh, I got to tell you, the reason I went for him is because I'm a businessman. I've been a businessman for 40 years. I've been a management consultant uh, that teaches people how to design information systems for their businesses, databases, project management, corporate planning, all that kind of stuff. And that's afforded me the luxury of seeing quite a bit of the world. And I've been in corporate boardrooms. I've been down to the trenches. And I've gotten to see a lot of people. There are a lot of Donald Trumps out there. I have met these super type A personalities all my life. And so I was not surprised at all uh, about his personality. In fact, I started to gravitate towards it because of my background in business. And I looked at it and said, hey, a bunch of guys will do this. Yeah, they're not politically correct, but they do get things done. Okay, Alan, you're up. Well, Tim, let me agree and disagree. I think you're right. There are businessmen who can get things done. One of them, I felt, but I think he blew his potential, was Ross Perot. The problem with Ross Perot, he was a great citizen. He also, he didn't appeal to the kind of xenophobia and uh, nativism and bigotry that I feel that Trump appeals to. The problem with Perot is he wasn't willing to really listen to any political people. And so he also had the problem where he never really had the focus campaign. But Perot was, in a business sense, remarkably successful. Trump has, has really successful. had an – I said remarkably but, successful. But he I was with Trump, EDS, and I knew EDS quite well. And from my point of view, Ross Perot was a crook. And I, he'd never get my vote. And only because well, I think Donald Trump is a crook also. Well, I that's what I'm saying to you is I know that industry very well. And I knew, saw I'm what they did at several insurance companies, Penn State University, all kinds of places. They go on in, and I called. They nuked the site. And, you know, his business would come on in, make a ton of money uh, off three years, and then they would leave, and the company would be all screwed up. But, so, well, I'll so defer anyway, to you on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll defer well, to you. But I know I what know Trump did business. in Atlantic City. I know what Trump did in Atlantic City. I was there. He was an absolute disaster in Atlantic City. I know the small business people that never got paid by Donald Trump. I know the people that got shafted by him. I know how incompetent he was as a casino executive. I know how poorly he played the politics there. So he has not been unvarnished success. What he is now, he's no longer really a developer. He's developed a brand. Now, I don't fault him for developing a brand, but he's not Warren Buffett. He's not somebody who uh, I would look up to as a business person. And he's someone who had a history of discrimination, particularly when he got started with Roy Cohn as his attorney in terms of his rentals of apartments in, uh, in, que in Queens and Brooklyn. So he's not someone as a business person I look up to. Okay, welcome to the um, Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Our guests today are our panel, Tim Bryce, Alan Steinberg. Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and we're having a lot of fun here talking a little bit about Donald Trump. Now, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting and um, in this whole new situation, and as Tim said, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a reboot. It's a, an opportunity to, um, to add people, and I agree with that. I'm, I'm curious with regard to the, the ad um, on the Breitbart side, and that is because – of um, what has been done within the party to, um, to well, guys like, um, specifically Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House. I know that Paul has been savaged by, by Breitbart, and uh, I know that Breitbart has been very strong in their, uh, in their uh, attacks on, on him and some of the other uh, traditional uh, uh, Republican leaders. Do you guys think that um, uh, that that the addition that going forward we're going to see some additional attacks on them from inside the camp? Or, or I mean, what was the addition of um, you know of of the Breitbart executives to um, to the to the Trump campaign? Why was why was that important? What was that messaging? I think Donald Trump likes Steve Bannon because Bannon knows how to ingratiate himself with him. Steve Bannon has one goal. It is to eviscerate the Republican establishment. 
we can't win a campaign in the Republican Party without both the establishment and the Trump people, for that matter. We need the grassroots. We need the establishment. But it's not going to work with Bannon's strategy of just destroying the establishment. It's a real problem because I have little doubt that Trump is going to lose this thing, that he's probably lost it already. But I want to see a Republican Senate and House. And the reason I really do is, number one, on Supreme Court appointments. I don't want Hillary to get the kind of appointments that she may want, even though I'm endorsing her. But the second thing is, we have a health care crisis that may come up as early as November of this year when Obamacare totally collapses. And it's going to be very important. Hillary, I know her. I've worked with her. I know her good and bad side. Now, I know that she is far more of a centrist than people think. I know that for a fact. If she has a Republican Congress, she will seek solutions involving choice and competition. If she has a Democratic Congress, the Sanders people will push her into uh, public option, things of that nature. And we need a Republican Congress if Trump is going to lose. But if uh, Steve Bannon is involved in a war against the establishment, Trump is going to go down and the Republican Senate and House candidates are going to go down. Mr. Jackson, thoughts? Boy, this is a dark, dark – this is just getting <laughs> darker all the time. Uh, the uh, – I, I, I'm concerned about uh, uh, maintaining a Republican majority in the Senate, no matter how the presidential election goes down. And I think the only real difference there will be the the amount of uh, new majority leader Schumer's uh, 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 majority. Um, I'm hoping it's only one guy, or maybe they're going to need uh, President Pro Tem uh, of the Senate, Tim Kaine, to break. To, to break ties, but they need the, four. The polling that I've seen, uh, the uh, the uh, the, tie, the 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 polling that I have seen uh, suggests that the the House probably will remain in Republican hands. Um, but I I got to push back a little bit, uh, Alan. When uh, when when Hillary Clinton was in charge of drafting a uh, a medical uh, reform program for the U.S. I mean, she was a, she was a little bit farther left than even Obamacare was. So left to her I own agree. devices, uh, and I and I guess that was while there was a Democrat uh, uh, Congress uh, in the majority. But I think left to her own devices, she's going only as left as she wants to go. The 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 idea that she's being pushed by 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 Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and the rest just strikes me as a false note. I think the real deal is is this is someone who's who studied the practices of Saul Alinsky and, and, and buys them, and she wants to go as far left as she possibly can. Yes, indeed, a, a Republican uh, Capitol Hill would be possibly an effective check, and I'm hoping that that prevails. Um, and I don't even remember what the, the original question was. Well, she was not. I have to correct something. I have to correct one thing. She was not a student of Alinsky. Obama was, Okay. But I agree with you on this, uh, Tom. I do agree that uh, what she did with uh, Hillary Care, as they called it, 93. But I know one thing about her, and I know the positives and negatives. She does learn from adverse experiences, and that was an adverse experience with her. Even with the Democrat Congress, she could not get national health insurance. And I think she learned from that, that politics is the art of the possible. Yes, she's already advocated a public option. But if you have a Republican Congress, she's not going to do that. And my concern is if Steve Bannon is in this war against the Republican establishment, look, the Democrats only need to win four seats. They're ahead, definitely, in, in four right now. They're going to win Wisconsin. They're going to win, uh, they're going to win Illinois. Illinois is basically over. They're, they're going to win Indiana. If they win New Hampshire, if Kelly Ayotte goes down, they have 50 seats with Hillary being elected. They have a Democratic Senate. And we need to hold on to the Senate. We need to keep them from getting more than three seats. Tell you what, guys, we're going to take a quick break on this, the Politically Incorrect podcast, and then we will return. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast on NewstalkFlorida.com and on BlogTalkRadio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. With us today, Tim Bryce, Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson. And gentlemen, uh, 
right after the break, um, or right before the break, I should say, we were talking about uh, Hillary Clinton and um, her pension for whether she's going to go right or left if she actually gets elected, and that's yet to be determined. But if she does, um, on the, uh, I honestly believe, and this is just from my observations of her when she was a senator, uh, she was number one very much a pragmatist. She was someone who figured out, okay, this is what I need to do to get this piece of legislation done or to be involved in this piece of legislation. I I don't think, Tom Jackson, that she is a, a lefty in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, I think that if you look at the uh, the time she was in Congress, and if you go and look at the progressive uh, or liberal, depending upon how you want to look at it, people in Congress, they would be, they would argue, and I'm talking about Democrats, would argue with her, with you that she was, she was far, you know, she was at best centrist for what they wanted to get done. She was not necessarily a particularly lefty when she was in the, in the, in the Senate. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, right now, she's got to do a lot of things. She's got to appeal to Bernie Sanders' group, and she also has to appeal to the Obama coalition. But, you know, I don't think even the people in the Bernie camp and, and certainly those in the Obama camp are not totally sure she's, you know, married to to what they're, you know, what they want. They're, they don't trust her in, 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 in carrying out uh, their agenda. Jim, I got, I got to push back some on that. I, her, her campaign is left of left. Uh, she wants to, she wants to raise taxes on businesses. She wants to spend far more money. She wants to raise taxes by something like a trillion dollars over, over 10 years. Uh, she, she wants to make lots of new things free carve out lots more stuff from the tax code to complicate it beyond recognition. Uh, if she's not running as a leftist, then we have not met one. And uh, while I have the floor, I must push back on my esteemed colleague. Uh, according to the Washington Free Beacon, uh, which is which has researched this stuff pretty good, uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was Hillary Rodham and attending Wesley, uh, Wellesley, uh, met frequently with Saul Alinsky while she was writing her her uh, her thesis on him. So, I mean, not maybe not literally a student of his, but certainly a, a, a soulmate. Hey, you All right, I stand corrected. Online. Sorry? I stand corrected. Uh, you can still find the thesis online is what I was saying. Yeah, no, I look, she, she was there. Obama was there. I mean, I, I don't particularly think that, you know, something that, happens when you're in college necessarily is what you're going to be like when you're um you know when you're involved in in government 20 30 years down the line i mean there's certain things i'm sure that's involved but i just i'm telling you guys when when you go and look at what she was doing you look about the people who were against her from the democratic side it was definitely the uh, the progressive, and is she running as a progressive? Of course, she's running as a progressive. If she wants to have Bernie Sanders's voters to be on her side, then she's got to look progressive. And if she wants the Obama camp on her side, she also has to be a little left of what she's saying. Um, you know, there's no question. Well, I knew her as a senator. Yeah, and I can tell you, she did change because I worked with her on a lot of sensitive nine post nine eleven matters. And I got to know her staff very well. It was amazing to me, and, and she had a very good staff as a senator. She had a terrible staff in the 2008 campaign. But I became friendly with her staff, and one of the things that shocked me was I learned from them that she was more uptight with people on her left than on her right. For example, there was a paper in Lower Manhattan, the Downtown Express. They were making wild claims about air quality after 9-11. And she used to really sweat them, so to speak. And I said, why? I mean, it's nothing but a lower Manhattan uh, ta tabloid, a free tabloid. And they said, well, she reacts to stuff like that, even though she and she's bothered by that. So she was a centrist senator who really worked well with people on both sides of the house. She worked well with me as Region 2 EPA administrator under Bush 43. And Jim Walsh, who was the Republican dean of the 
uh, House delegation from uh, New York told me that he had the same experience. So she's not the same. Uh, she, uh, if Alinsky was, and I accept what my esteemed colleague Tom Jackson said, if she was a student of Alinsky, uh, she certainly changed over the years. Hey, look, I know I changed over the years. I was a liberal in college. <laughs> Speaking of liberals, we haven't heard from uh, Henderson in a while. Are you, uh, are you knitting or what's going on there, Joe? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm playing online Scrabble while all this is going on. Uh, <laughs> are you winning? <laughs> yes, I am, actually. Uh, no, um, one, one thing that I, uh, I think has been overlooked in, in this whole process is that uh, as Hillary begins to get closer to the Oval Office, and I think a lot of people assume that that's going to be the case, She's going in there on essentially a once-in-a-lifetime political gift, and that gift is Donald Trump. She she could not have expected to have had um, support coming to her from places where it's coming now. So it's not exactly, uh, despite whatever margin of victory she may have, it's not exactly a mandate that she will assume uh, the presidency with. So she's going to have to work with people, and she's going to have to show that, uh, unlike Obama, uh, when he took over uh, and with a with control of the House and Senate, basically it was okay. We're gonna we're gonna push through our agenda no matter what. She is not going to have that luxury, even even if for uh, unexpectedly the Democrats would would take the House. I do believe they will they will take control of the Senate. And I do believe the House is going to be a lot closer. But uh, Hillary should not mistake that for a mandate for her to, to do whatever she wants. This is actually an opportunity for her to show that a lot of the Republican fears about her are, in fact, um, misguided. Tim, do you think that people are underestimating Donald Trump and that that as you say and I I agree with you there's a lot of there's a lot of silent people who are supporting Trump who aren't talking about it uh do you think that the polls are closer than what um than what they seem uh at least in in some of the battlegrounds well there's the poll that came out today with the Los Angeles uh, uh times it says it's better, virtually uh, locked up right at this time, 44 to like 43.4, something like that. That just came on out. Um, it's too close to call. What I believe you're going to see is the polls are going to get closer and closer and closer, and, and not for any particular reason of a candidate or anything like that. Is I think the media is going to adjust it like that and keep it as tight as possible, thereby you're going to make some more money, you know, through the media. I mean, it's it's not a, a horse race more than anything. And it will come on down to the last few days, and, you know, it will be a coin toss. But I think, really, the polls are going to get so close, it's going to be ridiculous. And we're already seeing evidence of it through this latest L.A. Times thing. How important do you think, and this is to the group, is they will the debates be, and um, and do you think that we'll see all three debates? That's going to be incredible ratings. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody missing this thing. I mean, we should be selling tickets for it. You know, there's going to be people watching this like they haven't watched a, a debate before. They're just going to blow the ratings way out of there. I can't wait to see what Nielsen says about them after the first one. Uh, second one, I don't know. Uh, but I think the vice presidential one will also be interesting as well. But the first one is going to be dynamite, and it's going to set the tone. Uh, they're going to set the tone in terms of how they uh, address one another. Will it get nasty? Hard to say. I, I don't think, though, that uh, Trump is going to back down if he hears something wrong. And, and really, Hillary can't afford to do that either. No, I, well, I, I don't believe I don't believe Hillary's going to back down for a for a nanosecond, and uh, I don't believe Trump will either. But the question that I have is: it's not just one debate; it's three. Now, if we assume right. that all all three of them will be held, uh, if Trump comes out uh, in the first debate and is a model of decorum and we're all talking afterward like, wow, he really held it together, can he do it for two more times? And I, 
uh, I'm not I'm not uh, going to go to a Trump casino and place any wagers on that one because I don't think he can. Well, after the first one is the is the town hall, and that's um, that might be a little challenging because I know that um, most of what Mr. Trump has done and successfully has done these the big you know the big uh, the big rooms as as we would say right, uh, and that's. Uh, the challenge of a town hall debate is really something that I know that most of the people, and I talked to to Todd Webster who ran uh, the the um, the Gore Lieberman group. Um, he was their communications director, and he was telling me that when that was coming, and they were getting ready to to uh, go with your boss, Alan uh, Bush forty three, they knew that. Bush 43 was a very likable, comfortable guy in front of people. Uh, and that was not Al Gore. Al Gore was not a comfortable kind of, you know, guy. And so um, I think that that one's going to be, to me, I agree with Tim that the first one's going to be phenomenal. I'm, I think the challenging one, in some regards for both candidates, is going to be the one where, you know, they have to sit down and listen to the people, and and literally talk to the people, not talk at each other. I, I wish well, we really did a real debate, though. You know, I I think all of this stuff is is madness. This is not how debates are obviously done. You know, if you look at uh, Kennedy Nixon in 1960, that's how a debate should be run out there. I can remember Howard K. Smith was the moderator for it, and it was done very professionally. And you, you got information. It wasn't sound bites or anything like that. These guys actually hit some targets, and they parried and thrust between the two of them. It's fascinating to watch. I mean, even to this day, if you were to bring that up on YouTube, it's an incredible uh, debate to watch. There's one thing you've got to remember about all these debates. They, in terms of the effect on the election, they come down to two things, image and gas. Now, let's talk about that 1960 uh, debate. People who listened to that debate on the radio thought that Richard Nixon won. People right. who saw the debate thought that Nixon got clobbered. And the reason was he looked awful. They had a bad makeup on him. He wore something called lazy shave. He looked like some drunk who was sitting there with unshaven. He looked terrible, even though he sounded well if you listened on radio. And he had just hurt his knee getting out of the car going into the debate. So that was and the case he, where What Kennedy, did he sound like, Alan? He sounded fine well, on the radio. But tell us, you you you, you uh, know how this is done. Show us show us how this uh, works. Show us how we're Oh, you want me to do my imitation? Yes, I can do I it. Do. I do. Okay. I want your I, I want our oh. listeners to hear you. Resurrect the, the man. Difference is, the difference is just one of style. President Kennedy, uh, Senator Kennedy, uh, says that we can do better. I agree, but for the last eight years, we did make gains. And we did have experience in dealing with the the Soviet Union. Yeah, that was kind of how it sounded. But uh, in any event, uh, it was different on the radio than it was on television. Now, the reason Kennedy did so well, and I still don't think he won that election, by the way. I still think it was stolen in Chicago and in uh, maybe in Texas. But the thing about that election was this. Kennedy looked like a bronze warrior. He looked terrific. He had a great suntan. It was image, and he looked. He stood there with right. Nixon, and he looked like his equivalent. Okay, now let's go forward. Let's go to – they didn't have any debates after that until 1976. And the whole re election turned on a gaffe by Jerry Ford. He would have won the election, except he said there is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe, and he was making gains. He was tied with Carter at the time, and that blew it. In 1980 – Reagan was thought to be this mad bomb thrower, and that's what Carter was relying on. And he came into that debate. He was the model of calm, and he came up with this famous line, there you go again. And that won it. It came down. And then if you look to other debates, in, 1990, uh, in, ni in 1992, you had uh, George w. w. Bush. Well, first of all, the, the second debate with Dukakis. Dukakis had been sick. He looked terrible. He sounded terrible. And then in 1992, when Bush looked at his watch, and it looked like he wanted to get out of there, opened the door for Bill Clinton. And in the year 2000, you had the situation where Al Gore was so obnoxious in that first debate 
that George W. looked great by comparison. The second debate, in order to repair the damage, Al Gore kept agreeing with him on everything. So it doesn't necessarily come down to substance. It comes down to image and who can avoid the gas. Well, you know, listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast, as you should, that uh, was Alan Steinberg. We heard from Tim Bryce before that. Joe Henderson and Tom Jackson with us. The other thing is, and Tim, you brought this up, and Joe, you brought this up last time we talked a little bit about the debate, and that is that um, it's it would be great to be able to do that again without crowds, you know, to to actually have a debate. Now, I debated in college and in high school, and and actually, the ironic part about that is that the only way you made points and were able to win debates was by utilizing the facts. That hasn't been something we've concerned ourselves with <laughs> in a debate for a very long time. Uh, you can say pretty much anything, and if you can get people to believe it, then uh, then the fact checkers go crazy. You know, 24 hours after it's all over with, but you know the damage is long since done. Uh, it has become, and Alan, you're right, it has become an optics situation. Who looks the best? Who looks the most comfortable? Who looks like they know what they're talking about? And I think that, go ahead, who is it? I was going to say, you know, the, the thing that bothers me is everybody says, well, of course, this is my facts. And the other guy says, no, it's not. This is what the fact is. The other guy says, no. And then we go back and forth. And, you know, it sounds like a bad Monty Python routine, you know. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. You know, back and forth. And the viewer is left with not just shaking his head, not knowing what's the truth. Yeah, I mean, but there's in some cases, and Sam, and you know this as well as I do, there really are facts. Okay, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's the old uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan line that you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And so all I'm saying is there there are actual facts, and yeah, in the midst of a a debate, you're going to get some people who are going to say, well, yeah, this is the way I look at it. And this is the way I, you know, you look at it. And yeah, they're going to be arguing their own facts. But at the end of the day, there are literally a set of facts that are the facts. And, um, you know, whether that's, you know, and, and trust me, believe me, both sides have been played fast and loose with the facts. So, you know, not one, you know, if you're looking at, at Donald Trump and saying he's been you know, totally factless, that's not true. And the same is, is the case of, of, of Clinton. So they have, um, they both have uh, at times decided to push the, the line at least uh, on what a fact is down the road a bit. Uh, but I do think that the debates are going to be fun to watch. And I do think that uh, it's going, it could, it could just as we talked about the, uh, the situation for Reagan and just as about um, the situation for George uh, W. Bush, it could turn the election uh, in a Trump way if if everything is handled properly. I, I do believe that that's still possible. I, I'm not ready to write this thing off personally because I just I've seen too many things go, you know, go awry at the last minute, and and uh, and suddenly your person is no longer out there because. They had a bad night, and as the old saying in the airport, that great movie, you picked a bad night to have a bad night. Well, that's true, uh, and obviously Hillary Clinton is capable of having a bad night, uh, just as Donald Trump is. Um, I do have to say, though, that with the numbers looking like they are, uh, you know, you, it, to use the dreaded football analogy, um, at what point does Hillary – begin to play the prevent defense. Now, you know, if you follow sports, you know that the uh, people would say a prevent defense, just all it does is prevent victory for your team. But at a certain, you know, she, she may already be at the place where she doesn't have to engage Trump on all of his diatribes against her. And, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of that now in her campaign tone is, is she's laying out her positions. She's saying, uh, you know, here's my detailed plan. You can go find it online. Uh, this is how I uh, would handle this situation. And I think if she just comes across as cool and managed in the debate, 
Trump can be Trump, and I don't think it's going to make any difference. I really don't. Guys, we're coming to the end here, and uh, tell you what, well, let's uh, let's go for last call, and then we'll come back and we'll talk. Uh, we'll we'll get everybody's social media, and we'll get everybody set up here on the uh, politically incorrect podcast. Uh, tell you what, Mr. Jackson, I'll give you first um, first on the final thoughts. I am mystified. I, 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 as I have made perfectly clear many times on this podcast, I am not on the Trump train. Having said that, I am curious about my colleague, my longtime colleague, Joe Henderson's claim that a Trump presidency would assault fundamental liberties that we have come to appreciate as Americans. I, I, I hear an awful lot coming from Donald Trump. But I don't hear threats on American liberties. What I what I heard that was fascinating the other day, in fact, uh, in, in his speech outside Milwaukee, was actually an attempt to reach out to black voters and, and to make plain that what Democrats have done in Democrat-dominated cities over the past 30, 40, 50, 60 years has not been good for law-abiding black folks, which is most of them who want to live in a safe society and be able to go out for a quart of milk at, at 11 o'clock at night and come home in one piece. And he's saying, you should get, you guys should give us a look. Now, he needs to follow that up with, and here's why, and show up in black communities uh, to, to, to drive that point home. But I, 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 until somebody lays out a bill of particulars that, that Donald Trump is, is, is coming after us for certain things that we take for granted as as Bill of Rights rights, I just don't believe it. So there I am. Joe, your name was evoked, so go ahead. It's your turn. Tom is my dear friend. We have been friends for a long time. And I guess uh, I, will, I will think Tom may have been asleep or otherwise occupied uh, at all of the uh, statements Mr. Trump has made about uh, an amendment that should be near and dear to all of us, the First Amendment, and how he wants to make it easier to sue newspapers, and how he bans papers that he does not like from covering him, and how he has waged a war against the media. Now, look, candidates, at least in my memory, all the way back to Sparrow Agnew, and I'm sure uh, people beyond before that have made the media a target. Fair enough. I don't recall any of them uh, doing it with quite the uh, vigor that Mr. Trump has done. And I do consider that an assault on liberty, and I'm going to call him out on it. But uh, while, while doing that respectfully for my good, close, personal friend, Tom Jackson. Okay. Mr. Steinberg, your turn. I concur with uh, my new and most valued friend, uh, Mr. Uh, Henderson, and uh, I also understand the point of uh, my esteemed colleague and friend, uh, Mr. Jackson. Two quick things. Uh, I think after the election, I do think Trump is going to lose. Get ready for Trump TV. In the post-Roger Ailes era, Ailes will jump in with Trump, and you'll see sycophant Sean Hannity on Trump TV. And don't be surprised if Chris Christie joined them. One thing that is concerning me a great deal about Trump is on his uh, program vis-a-vis -vis National Homeland Security, his so-called assimilation test. Uh, I come from an Orthodox Jewish family in Poland. In the 1920s, they said that Jews could not assimilate, and that was a reason why the Immigration Act of 1924 was passed. My relatives who hadn't gotten here yet were stuck in Poland, and they perished in the Holocaust. I'm very much against this notion that you have to prove ability to assimilate as long as you're willing to follow the Constitution and the statutes, that should be enough. Tim Bryce, I feel that you should have the last call here. You're, you guys have been, been uh, beaten up a little bit here, fairly or unfairly. <laughs> uh, I want to give you um, the, the final well, as, say. As a writer, I think uh, Donald Trump is uh, the most interesting candidate to come down the chute in about 50 years. And uh, uh, what we're watching is history. Uh, no, I, I'm not convinced that he has lost it yet. I think what we're going to see is a down and dirty, bloody fight like we've never seen before. And if he does get in there, 
you're going to see a big shakeup in Washington for sure out of that. But besides all that, guys, I am going to be on uh, KIT Radio tomorrow morning at 9.15 Eastern Time. i got to put in a plug here. I'm going to be talking about my article about Leave It to the Police. I'll be talking with Dave Edel and Lance Torme. And uh, so anyway, I'll be out there tomorrow morning. Well, very good, Tim. And um, look, you can read Tim Bryce, Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, all on the pages of um, News Talk Florida. I couldn't be happier to be amongst those uh, very good writers with my uh, with my own little bits of things that I throw out there for you to uh, consume. Uh, and Jim, let me just throw one last thing out there. I really enjoyed this. This is maybe my first time out here. This is the way debate should be. We should have a forum out there to discuss these kinds of things. Uh, not enough people are taking the time to talk about these issues and try to understand what the other person's thinking, and, and it's a shame, you know. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show today. That won't be the last time, Bryce. So don't get <laughs> don't get too comfortable. Just uh, just just say it. All right. Actually, I was going to do the round the horn on it. So Tim, while you're there, give us your social media and how they can help. Folks can follow you on uh, on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's quite simple. It's at Tim Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E. I've also got my webpage is Tim Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E dot com. Alan, social media. How I just want to, I just want to say I'm delighted to meet Tim. Uh, what's great about Tim, which is great about everyone in this panel, I hope I live up to this, is we all can disagree without being disagreeable. My social media is on Twitter is uh, at uh, a Steinberg 613 and my Facebook page is Alan Joel Steinberg. Everyone is welcome to interface with me. Mr. Jackson, your turn, sir. Facebook page would be Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur. Follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X Tampa. And Joe Henderson. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson Commentary, Columns and Such. And you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa. Well, thank you all. And uh, I'm Jim Williams, your host from Washington, D.C., the Washington Bureau Chief for News Talk Florida. You can find me on Twitter at NTFLA underscore politics. That's NTFLA underscore politics. My Facebook page is Jim Williams Examiner. And uh, you're certainly welcome to be a friend. And I'm more than happy to try to answer your questions and hope that you enjoyed our politically incorrect podcast for this day. And uh, we've enjoyed being with you. You can listen to us on NewstalkFlorida.com or on blogtalkradio.com. Thanks very much for your time. And until next time, enjoy and be safe.